Yesterday, we covered a lot of ground, but we've got a lot to cover today. So, first off, if you have your manual, go to chapter 3. Get all this lined up here. Chapter 3, Divine Healing and the Atonement. (coughs) Now, (coughs) uh, that would be on page 21. (coughs) Excuse me. Divine healing in the atonement. Really, there's only two things you need to know. Number one, is healing always God's will? Number two, is healing in the atonement? If you know, number two, that healing is in the atonement, then you also know that healing is always God's will. Alright, it's real simple. Because God can't put it in the atonement if it wasn't for everybody and wasn't always His will. Anything included in the atonement is always God's will. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to seek God about it. It's just a matter of finding out what is in the atonement and then enforcing it. Okay? Now, one of the things Dr. Summerall used to always say, he would tell someone, uh, we need to get this done or, or, you know, I need you to do this. And the person would say, well, let me pray about it. And he said, that's all right, I've already prayed about it. The Lord said, it's okay, go do it. And that's just the way he operated. So, uh, that's kind of the way we operate. We decide from Scripture... What is the will of God? And then we go after it. Once we decide, we don't back off. The, um, <clears throat> there was a story. Remember the story of the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, that had the daughter, that had a devil. And she came to Jesus. And <clears throat> Jesus said, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. All right? Now, Jesus was the express image of God upon the earth. He was the voice of God at that time on the earth. Isn't that right? Whatever he said was the word of God. So whenever he told that woman, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs, he was essentially telling her no. Right? I mean, if you get down to it, that's what, it was, that's what he was saying. Now, what he was, the reason he was saying what he said was that he had made, or Abraham and God had made a covenant, and Jesus was fulfilling God's part of the covenant of bringing a sacrifice and of bringing the gospel to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So he could not go into, and that's why he told his disciples, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, but go first to the house of Israel. And so at that point, that's why he told that woman, basically, no. Now, think about this though. He was the voice of God. And the voice of God told her no. Now, if she have been like most Christians, she would have said, well... God said, no, that's the will of God. That's the way it is. And she would have turned around and walked off. But she didn't do that. Instead, she said, that's true, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Now, that's her way of saying, you may say no, but I'm telling you, I'm not leaving without it. Isn't that right? I mean, she basically contradicted him and said, you can say what you want, but my daughter's getting healed. And so, finally, whenever she, now think about this. She said that to him. She said, I'm not taking your no, the word of God, as a no. I'm not taking that as a no. I'm not taking that as a final answer. And Jesus said, woman, you've got great faith. Now, how come is it she had great faith by saying no, and we think we have great faith by suffering under the... the, the, the Weight of a sin, or not the weight of a sin, but the weight of a, a sickness or a disease. And we think it's, well, it's just great faith to bear up under that thing because, you know, apparently God said no because I prayed and it didn't happen. 
Yeah, first off, it's pretty arrogant to think that just because you prayed and it didn't happen that it ain't God's will. Now, there was another time. Remember whenever Jesus' disciples, it actually was a man, brought his son to Jesus' disciples to cast the devil out of him. And they couldn't do it. And then Jesus said, bring the boy to me. And so then he brought the boy, they brought the boy to Jesus, right? And Jesus cast the devil out of the boy and the boy was healed. So obviously healing was God's will. But yet, Jesus' disciples couldn't get it done. Isn't that right? So just because you can't get it done doesn't mean it's not God's will. You get that? Just because you prayed it didn't happen doesn't mean it's God's will. Sometimes you've got to push on through, fight, decide, do whatever it takes. I have a t-shirt back home. that I, I, On my way back from California, I, we stopped in it somewhere out in New Mexico. Albuquerque, I think it was. And there's a, a restaurant there called Rudy's Barbecue. And we stopped in there, and I saw a T-shirt, and I thought, boy, that's my T-shirt, because I already told you, I've never eaten a vegetable. And so, on the back of this T-shirt, it says, I didn't claw my way to the top of the food chain to eat vegetables. <laughs> well, okay, now you need that kind of attitude, that whenever something gets in your way, that you don't take no for an answer. Because, see, back whenever Jesus walked on the earth, because of the situation he was in, he could and had to say no. He is no longer in that position. Anything included in the atonement, he cannot say no to. You understand that? If it's in the atonement, he cannot say no. Every promise in him is in him, yea, yes, and in him, amen. So be it. There is no no. There's not even a wait. Only the devil says wait, because the devil knows if you wait, usually you'll give up. So, if anything tells you no, it's not God if it is a promise. And what you say, how do you know what the promises are? If it's in the atonement. Now, if it has to do with where you're going to go to get a job or where you're going to live and those kind of things, you may need to find out precisely when and where. Now, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying you may design or desire to know when and where. Now, that's like when people say, well, you know, would you, they'll call me on the phone. Brother Curry, would you pray about coming up so-and-so, going here, going there? and doing a DHT, or would you pray about coming here and speaking for us? Right then I tell them, no, I won't pray about it. I'll come. And people say, well, are you sure you don't want to pray about it? Yeah, I'm sure. I will come. Well, why don't you want to pray about it? Uh, because the Bible says to go into all the world. I haven't been there yet. Where you're at, I hadn't been. So I've got to go sooner or later. I might as well go when you invite me. Right? If I go on my own, I've got to pay for it. If I go when you invite me, you'll pay for it. Why shouldn't I go when you invite me? <clears throat> Does that make sense? Okay? So... So I got a, I really, I got a good life. Okay? I get to go all over the world, and usually somebody else pays my way. So I mean, it's pretty good. So, and I enjoy along the way, we get some good testimonies. I was um, recently on the way out to California. I was with my wife in the car, and we were going down, I think, Highway 70 in Kansas, which if you've ever been down Highway 70 in Kansas, <clears throat> believe me, take a book or something, because there is nothing to see. All right? I mean, it's just land out there. I always tell everybody, Kansas, when the Bible says that they cast devils out and they go out to the dry places to wander around. That's Kansas. Okay? So, because there's not much out there. But we were driving through there and there were several highways that kind of went off. And one highway said, um, or one exit said, Dodge City, Kansas. Exit, seven miles. We were just driving down the road and I looked at it and I said, You see that? She said, Yeah. I said, that, that road there, that goes to Dodge City. She goes, Yep. I said, You know what happened in Dodge City? And she goes, What? And I said, and I started giving her testimonies. I'll, I'll probably tell you the same testimony a little, a little bit later on. 
But I started talking to her about it, and she said, you know, I, I know that testimony. I said, that's okay, I'm going to tell it again, because I like it. Right? And so I went through this whole thing all over again. And I started talking to her about it, and I said, you know, I know most of the highways, I don't need a, really a map or an atlas or anything, because I've been all over the country so many times now, I know most of the highways can get me pretty much anywhere. And almost every highway in every state, I got a testimony. Almost every one of them I drive down, I can think, you know what happened down that road there? You take that exit right there, it'll take you this town, and there's a, a child there with the club feet. They were healed. You go down this one, there's a person there with cancer. They were healed. You go down, and I could just give testimony. Every, there, I don't know if there's a state. Well, I know there's not a state. But I don't know if there is a highway in this country that we don't have a testimony about. I say, that's a good life. And so whenever somebody calls and says, would you come, we go. There's things I don't have to pray about. If it's in the scripture to do, I don't pray about it. You know? Now, I may have to pray about when to get there or, or you know, scheduling and arranging scheduling. But as far as going, that's not even a question. I see, the difference is, though, I don't care where I'm at. It makes me no difference. One state's pretty much the same as another. You know, one motel's the same as another. There's nicer ones. There's not so nice ones. You know, if... Most people, like the hotel we're in now, it's nice. It's, I love old buildings, and it's really nice to, to be there, and I enjoy that, the, the just old stuff like that. Uh, when we're on the road, you know, it's Motel 6, right? <laughs> when, when I'm paying, it's Motel 6. <laughs> so, but it doesn't matter to me. I've lived, I've slept on pallets on the floor, but it's what we're doing that counts. Yeah. Not where you sleep, not what you eat, not, not even necessarily who you're around, but... What gets done. Amen? So, Divine Healing and Atonement, chapter 3, verse 21. Or, I'm sorry, page 21. I've <clears throat> been in church too much. <laughs> First off, sin and sickness, two fruits from the same tree. One of our problems is we try to separate them. You need to realize that they, are, they both have the same life source. Right? It's all, it all comes back from death. Death is the source it goes off into one branch of the tree, it becomes sin. It goes off into another branch of the tree, it becomes disease. Simple as that. It's all the same life source. It's all death. And everything that falls into the category of death falls into the category of Satan. So you kill it. Right? You kill sin. You kill sickness. You, when I say kill, I mean defeat, destroy, cast out, beat, whatever word you want to use. Alright? Now, <clears throat> sin and sickness are always grouped together. In the scriptures, you'll always find them together. In Psalm 103, it says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse 6, The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now, our judicial system, as I said yesterday, is based on the Mosaic Law. It is even based on Scripture. Now, man's gotten involved in it, and so it's messed up a bit from time to time. But overall, the system was based on Mosaic Law. Now, what I want to point out is this. If you read, matter of fact, if you go to court, most court proceedings sound almost like King James in the way that they're carried out. And the, the main reason you need a lawyer is so that they know when and how to make the right motions and how to do things right. Right? I mean, if you're innocent, you would think, all i got to do is show up and tell the truth, which is not necessarily true. 
right? You need a lawyer to tell you when to tell the truth and how to tell the truth, okay? Now, I want to emphasize this because when you look at it, look at two things. Go back to verse, well, might as well start at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits, right? Now, the way we would say this in common English today would be, don't forget any of His benefits. In verse 3, he starts to list the benefits. He says, first off, who forgives all your iniquities. Now, how many of your iniquities did he forgive? Is there any iniquities he didn't forgive? Because any he didn't forgive, you're going to have to carry the, the weight and the punishment for. Isn't that right? But if he bore your iniquities, you do not have to bear the punishment for them. Isn't that right? Isn't that the basis of it? Next, who healeth all thy diseases. How many diseases of yours did he heal? Now, is there any that he didn't heal? Because any that he didn't heal, you've got to bear. Isn't that right? Now, if he did not, if there is one sickness, one illness, one disease that he did not take care of, then that also means that that verse there is not true. Right? And if he didn't heal all your diseases, what makes you think that he forgave all your iniquities? They're in the same verse. So you have to decide. It's either all or nothing. Now, when you start getting into absolutes, you're going to find out that that's the way God thinks. Right? God doesn't think partial. See, one thing you have to understand about God is that He is perfect. And for a being to be perfect, they have to, to think and operate in absolutes. Because if God... See, that, that's the amazing thing about how God is working with humans. Because he is a perfect being. And he has to expect perfection. But knowing humans, even though he expects perfection and requires perfection, he has made provision for our imperfection. And that allows him to continue to work with us. Because in our imperfection, we make a mistake. He makes it so that we can get fixed. And when we get fixed, then at that moment we are perfect again. And therefore he can deal with us. Isn't that pretty simple? But now, if he hadn't made that provision, see, he has to expect perfection. Because if he didn't expect perfection, then that would be a part of his character that was not perfect. You understand that? So, in that perfection, he has to expect perfection. He has to talk perfection. In the Bible, over and over again, people say, you know, he didn't really talk much about people backsliding, per se, in the New Testament. He didn't talk much about people, you know, getting out of salvation and things like that. Well, that's because... (laughs) First off, he's the ultimate optimist. He thinks anybody gets into this, who would want out? Right? It's too good a deal to get out. But yet, he has, and he has to expect perfection. He has to expect people to want to walk in this, even though he has made provision if you mess up. Isn't that right? That if we, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So we have a way back into perfection, so that, and as long as we get back into that, then it's like we never got out of it. Right? So he can continue to treat us as perfect, even though we make mistakes along the way. It, it's, it is the perfect system that allows everything to keep running and for him to keep helping and blessing people without having to automatically, oh, you messed up there, bam, you're dead. Well, you know, give me time. No, that's it. It's over. He didn't do that. He gives you time. See, now, I, I do want to say this. Most people look at the idea of grace. We're in grace, which means we can live any way we want and it doesn't matter as long as we claim to know Jesus. Okay, that's not grace. Grace doesn't mean live any way you want and get by with it. Grace means you have time 
to get right. Alright? Essentially, that's what grace comes down to. In other words, I'm not going to blast you now. I'm going to hold off and give you time to get right. Right? Now, that's the way I say it. I'm not saying those are the words of God. Okay? Now, notice. In, um, go down to verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now, if we went into a court system, and there's two different types of trial. There's a trial by judge and a trial by jury. And you can forego the trial by jury and just go before a judge, and the judge can hear the case, and then he can decide your fate. Now, in a court case, obviously, you have a defendant and a plaintiff. The defendant is the one that's accused, and the plaintiff is the one that is bringing the accusation. Now, if you look at the Bible, all of the Bible talks in terms of legalities. And it's amazing how judicial it is, because you go in, and let's say you're in a system here on earth. You go into a courtroom, but let's say you're not having a... You have uh, waived your right to, to a jury trial, and you're going to stand before a judge. The judge hears both sides of the case. The, defend- the uh, plaintiff will give the uh, accusations against you, and then at some point, your lawyer, your advocate, he's called, will give the reasons why you shouldn't be punished or shouldn't be found guilty. Now, already you should start to see the correlation between these things because it's pretty obvious. At some point, the judge is going to hear all of it, and he's going to say, okay, I, I'll make my ruling, and he'll take that little gavel and wrap it on the desk a couple of times, and he'll say, all right, now. And the way he, he even has to say it a certain way. He, he usually doesn't say, I, or you know, his name, or that kind of thing. He says, all right, this court, why? Because he represents the court. The court is his authority. He says, this court finds in favor of the defendant. Right? So if he says that, what does that mean? The defendant is vindicated, freed, right? Now, he could also say it this way. We render, or this court renders judgment in favor of the defendant. So if he renders judgment in favor of the defendant, what does that mean? Defendant wins, right? Now, he doesn't say, we render judgment against the plaintiff. You ever notice that? The judge never says that. Uh, I decide against you. He doesn't say that. He says, I decide in your favor. Isn't that right? Whether it's the plaintiff or the defendant, whoever's favor he decides on behalf of, he, says, he doesn't say, I, I, I'm deciding against them. He says, I'm deciding for you. Right? Now, this is exactly what God does. This is what he did here. Now, remember we, yesterday we said how Jesus operated? That he operated by the golden rule? He lived by it. He preached it. He lived by it. All right? Now, were there times when the Spirit led him to do certain things? Yes, there were. But if you look at the word led, look it up in a concordance, you're only going to find it, I think, two, three times in the New Testament. Well, in the sense of the Spirit leading you. Okay? Meaning, because in Galatians it talks about you being led after false gods and false idols. I'm not talking about that because I know that's not the, the Spirit of God that led people after false idols. But what it says in Matthew, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Right? Now, that's a, a leading that you don't need. You find your own way in the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit. That's why he said, when you, when, you, when you pray, pray this. Lead us not into temptation. Isn't that right? Why? So that way, if you pray that, then you know if you get into temptation, he didn't lead you there. Why? Because you prayed and your prayers are answered. Right? Now, that's the way God thinks. He thinks you know that. Now, the other time it says to be led, it talks about in Romans 8.14... It says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
And so that's the other aspect. But there's not a whole lot about being led, but we know there are times when people are led, right? So we know there were times in Jesus' life whenever the Spirit led him to do certain things, but it wasn't like we generally think it is, where it's every second, do this, do that, do this. Because when you do that, you are taking away all responsibility of the person. There's no virtue. There's no faith. Nothing. Right? Now, you should learn to be led by God's nature and His character and not by some arbitrary voice or feeling. You understand that? Because everybody can come up with an arbitrary feeling. Usually it follows their soul. I don't feel like witnessing. God's not leading me to go witness tonight. Or, God's leading me to stay home tonight instead of go witness. I'll pray for you all here. See, and, and nobody can say anything about that because we have grown to accept this idea of an arbitrary leading as opposed to the leading of the Spirit that is in accordance with the Word of God. Because the Word and the Spirit are one and they agree in one. Right? So you can't say, if the Bible says to do something, you cannot say that the Spirit is leading you not to do it. Because when you say that, you're saying you're being led by another Spirit. Because the Word and the Spirit agree. Is that simple enough? Now, so it's real simple. If you have a problem being led or thinking you're being led, just read the Bible and do that. And when you do the Bible, you know that while you're doing the Bible, you are being led. How do you know that? Because you won't do the Bible without the Spirit of God leading you. You understand it? The very fact, let me, I'll give you more scripture. <clears throat> People have a, always have a problem thinking, uh, like I told you the other day, if somebody says, was that you or is that God? And I say yes, and they get upset about it. And in Philippians 4.13, it says, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So whenever you think that you want to do something biblical, you know, I'm talking about laying hands on the sick, killing the deeds of the flesh, you know, all those kind of things. Anything that the Bible says to do. When you desire to do that, that's not even you. That is the Spirit of God in you leading you to want to do that. Do you understand that? That's not you. Now, as you have your mind renewed to the Word of God, your mind will line up with it and it will become more of you, but it's because when it becomes more of you desiring to do the will of God, it's because there's less of you there to argue with it. Do you understand that? So the more your mind is brought into alignment with the Word of God, the more your mind is renewed to the Word of God, the less there is of the old you to buck against the system, so to speak. And you start to line up with it, and you become more like Him, and the more you become like Him, the easier it is for His Spirit to actually guide you by doing the Bible. Is that pretty simple? Okay. Now, but remember that verse, that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. He gives you the will and the ability to do. He does not, he will never give you the will to do something without giving you the ability to do it. You understand? Because that leads to frustration. You tell a child all their life they can do something, and when they get big enough, you know, when you get this age, you can do it, and then you tell them, no, you can't do it, all you've done is create frustration. God is not like that, right? He tells you, he says, look into this word, find out who you are, and live that way. And everything in this word you can do. And we have found that to be true. Now, I know, I can tell you distinct times whenever I know God had led me to do things, but usually it's 20-20 hindsight. Right? You can look back, the proof of it's there, and you go, yeah, that was God. But I do not know of particularly of a time whenever I can say that God... There are small individual things, but nothing of any importance, put it that way. Whenever I went and did something that I said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is telling me to do this right now, and I know it's Him, and there's no doubt about it. 
right? Everything I've done, I have done by studying the Bible, finding out the will of God in His Word, and then going and doing it. And there was always the element of, well, you know what? This could just be me wanting to do it. But I went and did it, and it's worked. Now, we cannot base everything on success. Alright? The Bible says that there are going to be cities you're going to go into that you're going to preach the gospel and they're going to reject you. And they're right. The whole city is going to reject you. Now, according to common theology today, you go into a city and you, you should have success and you are to have great crowds and great people and great testimonies and all this neat stuff. But there are cities that reject you. So there are some cities you go into in obedience to the will of God to go into all the world. You go in there, you're doing the will of God, and yet those people there in that city are not doing the will of God. They are rejecting the gospel. And as they reject the gospel, you could come out of there thinking, I have failed. Man, we didn't have, you know, there was nobody showed up at the meetings, um, you know, no great miracles. I, I must have failed. No, the people rejected the gospel. Now, even if they reject the gospel, there should still be enough signs that you perform while you're there to be able to prove that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto them, the way the Bible says. Because that's, you realize that all through the Bible, every time Jesus ever talked about a city rejecting the gospel, he said, even if this other city had seen the signs that you saw, they would have repented. Isn't that right? So the people that rejected the gospel rejected it in the face of clear signs from God. Which is why they're going to be held guilty because it is obvious that God was there, His kingdom was there, His kingdom was demonstrated, and yet they still rejected. Now they have no excuse. But until you fully preach the gospel with signs and wonders, they will always have an excuse of being able to say, well, we wasn't sure that was God because, come on, just last week the Jehovah's Witnesses were knocking on our door and they said they're from God too. And they didn't have signs either. Why should I believe you over them? They probably knew the Scriptures better than you do. So, you have to have something to prove that God is with you. And every time the Bible talks about somebody being approved of God, it was because of signs and wonders in their life. Right? Now, whether you like it or not, I can't help that. All I've got to do is tell you what the Bible says. Amen? Now, back into verse 6. Notice, we're back in the court system. And the court system says this. The judge renders judgment for the defendant. Now, when you render judgment for something, that means whoever you're rendering judgment for wins. Right? They go free. They're set free. Right? Go back to verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. What does that mean? Is the scripture true? You believe the Bible? Believe every word of it? What it says is what it means, right? No deep hidden meanings. It's right there, right? It says very clearly, He rendered judgment or executes judgment for all that are oppressed, not some. Isn't that right? So God in heaven. Now, think about this. Did Jesus know the Scriptures? Probably so. He was the Word made flesh, so I figure He probably knew it pretty well, right? He helped write them, okay? So if He was the Scriptures, He obviously knew the Psalms. He quoted them all the time, Right? I guarantee you he knew the scripture that said, and, and now notice, by knowing this scripture, this is how he lived. Remember Acts 10.38? What does it say? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good 
and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Isn't that right? So who did he heal? All that were what? Oppressed of who? Not of his father. Right? They weren't oppressed of the heavenly father. They were oppressed of the devil. So every person he healed was oppressed of the devil. Right? So the father's not the oppressor. The devil is the oppressor. The devil is the one that brings sickness and disease, not the father. Isn't that right? Now, and you say, well, but under the, you know, in the Old Testament it says many times that he brought this, he brings that. Now, if you go into the Hebrew language, you will find out that when he spoke of these things, and say, when he said, I will bring these upon you, or I will cause this to come upon you, he was essentially saying this, I have put into play a system of sowing and reaping. Remember what I told you in the early day, or yesterday or the day before, I guess it was. In the Old Testament, God had to treat man like fallen man. Under the New Covenant, He gets to treat man like He wants to. Right? There was a barrier between God and man in the Old Covenant that is not there in the New Covenant. Right? Under the Old Covenant, when people messed up, bam, what happened? Sowing and reaping. You get outside the covenant, bam. Isn't it right? Now, he didn't have to bring it on you. He set the law in motion that would cause it to happen. Isn't that right? Now, that'd be like somebody saying, Well, I'll tell you what, that judge put me in prison. No, he didn't. You put yourself in prison whenever you committed the crime that put you there. All the judge did was pass an appropriate sentence for the crime. Now, I know we're dealing with humans, so sometimes it's not appropriate and all that other stuff. All right? But I'm saying, in a perfect world, okay, it would be just. Right? Now... God doesn't put anybody in hell. Right? People put themselves there by rejecting the gospel, by refusing to repent, by living in sin. Okay? By the same token, God does not put sickness and disease on people, but they do that themselves mostly by sowing and reaping because most diseases are brought upon yourself in some form or another. Sowing and reaping, habits, things that you do. Right? There was a lady that... um, when I was in Dallas, I was on a television program, and, and when I got done, I'd never done this before, and apparently nobody else had on that television because it shocked them. But when I got done, they, they said, would you pray for the people in the audience? And I said, yeah. So I looked at the television camera, and I said, if, wherever you are right now, if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you will call into this station right now, give us your name and your address, I will come to your house and pray for you. Right? And, and you ought to see them. They're kind of, uh, uh, you know, are you sure? And for the next six weeks... Well, in the next 30 minutes, they had the most calls they'd ever gotten. They had over 1,000 calls. And over the next six weeks, I spent those next six weeks. At that time, I had nobody with me. And I was going around from house to house every day, all day, for six weeks, praying for people. And usually, I'd get a call from, or the call was there from one person. By the time I got there, they'd have 20 people there to be prayed for. Because they knew I was coming. And they would be gathered up. So, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, come on. It's good to have house calls. Amen? And so, I would go to these people. I went to this one woman's house. And she had a crowd in there. And when I got there, she had uh, emphysema. And she smoked and had developed emphysema. Now, I'll tell you, I will never... <laughs> I have no fear of emphysema. I will never catch it. You know why? I don't do what it takes to get it. Simple as that. Now, there are some diseases that are flat-out attacks. Right? You didn't necessarily do anything. Or maybe by accident of somehow something got a hold of you. There are those cases. Okay? But, most diseases are self-inflicted. Okay, when I say most. Now, some of them come by excessive worry. Right? 
stress-induced sicknesses. You're under stress long enough, you'll wear down your physical immune system, and you will get sick. Now, worry is a sin. You understand that? It's a sin. You cast your cares upon Jesus, and you don't worry. Right? What is there to worry about? You ever see that thing, you know, why worry? You either live or you die. You know, if you die, what's to worry about? If you live, then you know, there's only two things to concern yourself with. You ever seen that little chart? You ever see it? It's a pretty cute little thing. But it's really simple and it's really true. I mean, because I have learned, I have lost everything I've had about three different times in my life. I mean, everything. One time, everything was in a van. Everything I owned was in a VW van, right? Shows you how much I owned. But it was, but it was still everything I owned, right? And I lost it all. The van was, well, basically it was towed off or something. I, they, they, it was a, it was a long, long story, but... But anyway, everything I owned was in a van, and when I got back, the van was gone. And I was in Pensacola, Florida with, uh, what was it, t-shirt, pair of workout pants, and no shoes. Right? I, I had, uh, I think I had, I don't even know if I had my billfold with me. I don't think I did at that, at that time. Uh, everything was gone. Right? We've, well, I've had that happen about three different times in my life. And you know what, I've, one thing I've learned is that I, I lived through all three times. And I can live anywhere, anytime. I will always survive. And no matter what you try to do to me, I will win. Simple as that. Why? Because I won't give up. And sooner or later, you'll quit. Right? So I will win. So once you get that attitude, and it comes from God. It's it's a matter of knowing that God is with me. Because you can put me anywhere in the world. I will thrive. I may have to learn to eat different things. But I will still thrive. Amen? Because God is with me. And that's all that counts. If you know God is with you and you have faith in God, nobody can stop you. You that? No devil, no sickness, no poverty, no, you know, no pay rate or anything else. I do not live according to a pay rate. Right? I live according to what I need. And sometimes I get a few creature comforts to go along with it. Amen? So usually that's when I'm on trips like this and you put me in a nice hotel. Okay? So the idea though is that I have the mindset that I'm going on no matter what. So you can't beat me. Right? Now, because once you... You've you got to get a hold of that, atti- that, that. It's not just an attitude. Because a lot of people can have the attitude. But it has, see, faith is not a build. It's not a working up. Most people think you have faith, you've got to get worked up. Faith is not a working up. It's a settling down. When you settle down in God and you say, you know what? No matter what happens, every storm, every wind, every flood, whatever, fire, wind, it doesn't matter, all that stuff, when it stops, and it will, I will still be standing on this rock. That's it. And so, whatever comes... That's, see, that's what Paul was talking about when he said be content with whatever circumstance you're in. He wasn't saying, look, if you're sick, keep your sickness. Be happy in your sickness. He wasn't saying that. He said, man, I've been, you know, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been a base, I've been abounding, I've had good things happen, I've had bad things happen. And one thing I've learned is that God was with me through them all. So I will come out the other end no matter what. Once you get that and you realize that God will always be there with you, then you, there's nothing that can stop you. And once you get that, it's great. It doesn't matter. Live or die, who cares? The Apostle Paul had that same attitude. I mean, can you imagine? He wrote to the church and told them, he said, Listen, I'm trying to decide. I'd really like to go on to be with the Lord, but I think you need me here, so I guess I'll stay. And he said that while he was chained to a Roman guard. 
and you know he's he's ready to be beheaded basically. I mean they're they're talking about executing him, and and he's sitting there going, "Let me think. Uh, do I need to go? No, y'all probably need me more than I than I want to go, so I'll stay." And the guard's probably thinking, "This guy's crazy. He thinks he's actually in charge here." And they didn't realize he was. And when he got done, when he was done, now tradition says that his he was beheaded. There's nothing that proves that, but tradition says it. And come on, if you're going to go, that's a good way to go. Right? It's quick, fast. You know, a whole lot of other people went a lot worse ways. Right? Long, tortured type things. Of course, whenever you... You realize, even in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the, the heroes of faith. Even all the people, it tells how they got somewhere sawn asunder and all these different you know, ways that they died. But it even says at one time, it says that they forsook their deliverance. You know what that means? That means deliverance was available. And they decided not to take the way out. Why? The Word tells you. So that they could obtain a greater resurrection. Now think about that. Think of the mentality that those people had. To the point where they decided, you know, if I call on God, He'll deliver me. But come on, if I die this way, it's going to be a greater glory. So okay, go ahead, do your best. Or your worst, as the case may be. And that's the way they lived. See, that's what the church is missing today. That's why, that's why I like to read all these old guys. You know, guys, a lot of the theologians today, they lack substance. The old guys, those are the ones when you read it, something grabs the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lake's material, you read it, there's something different. There's a, there's a certain truth there that you only get by living it. See, that's the difference. Anybody can preach. Most preaching is repeating what somebody else has already said. That's why most time you turn on television or, you know, this is the great new revelation everybody's getting it. No, it's one person heard it from another person. You know, one week they preach it, next week everybody else is preaching it. They don't have a revelation of it. They don't understand it. They just heard it and go, wow, that'll bring you an offering. So then they all preach it. And they don't have the substance to it. And whenever truth has a ring to it. And whenever you, whenever you live something, the way you preach it has a ring to it. That just says this is real, this is true, even if it goes against everything that you've been taught before. That's why the last three days, almost those of you that haven't heard the teaching before, and this is something brand new to you, that's why you've been listening to it. And the whole time you've been listening, your head's been saying, well, that's not what I was taught. Well, I've never heard that before. Now, that goes exactly against what I was taught. And your head's going, wait a minute, I don't know. But in here, your spirit's going, yeah. That's right, that's scripture, and scripture start going off. That that means this, and yeah, that lines up with this, and because I haven't violated any scriptures, and you start to realize that these other doctrines violate many scriptures. But it's because your spirit was right, it was put into you at your new birth, and that's why it your head has to start to line up with that. That's what you've been that's what's been going on the last few days, is we've been trying to line your head up with your heart. So judgment for all that are oppressed. Remember Acts 10.38, what I just quoted a few minutes ago? Hey, what about doing good and healing all that were oppressed? How could he heal all that were oppressed? You know what that means? That means that he, everybody he came into contact with, he healed. If they were sick, he healed them, right? Because he healed all. Many times it says great multitudes came to him and he healed them all. He didn't heal some of them. He didn't pick and choose because he can't. Why? Because he told his disciples, freely you've received, freely give. What does that mean? In common English, it means don't pick and choose. Give it to anybody. Isn't it right? That wasn't talking about offering like we said before. That's talking, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you received, freely give. He was talking about freely giving, healing to the sick, casting out the devils, freely raising the dead, all that stuff. It, has, it should be free. That was one of the things, when I first started praying for people, man, I was, 
I was struggling. Straining is a better way. I mean, when I'd pray for somebody, boy, I'd lay hands on them. And I mean, I, I would strain, you know, because you're trying to force it. And you're, I mean, blood vessels would start popping out, you know, and start turning red. And it's work, you know. You start sweating and turn red. And when you get done, you're like, you're just exhausted because you're trying to force it into the ticket. You know, and you're all tensed up because you want it for them so bad. And you think somehow you got to get it that way. And then I watched this guy on, on video one time. And this guy was amazing. He, he looked like a basketball player. You know, he, he was fairly tall, fairly thin, and he'd call people down and go, watch this, just come on down. And he'd call somebody, you'd come on down, and they'd come running down, and they'd get near him, and he'd go, just, just hug me. They'd hug him, and when, he, when they hugged him, bam, they'd fall down. And then he'd take the microphone and say, how's that feel? I'm healed. And they'd run toward him, and he goes, and they, they would come running down the deal, and he'd go to the side. And they would run and go, wham, and fall off on the side. Bam. I mean... I, and he, he, people would get from me and say, look at me. Look at my eyes. You see my eyes? This isn't the... He, he goes, I'm not wondering. I'm not wondering what if. He says, the, he says this is the you can't help but take it anointing. <laughs> he says, so just take it. And bam. He, and he'd look at him and say, he'd just take him by the hand and he'd walk with him. And as he walked back and forth, he'd walk a couple of steps and then he'd turn around, he'd take him by the hand and walk the other way and he'd come back around and finally he'd go, all right, you feel that? And they're like, no. He goes, that's good because I don't either. He goes, but it ain't got about, it's not about feeling. And he just go back and forth and switch hands. And finally he get a third boy and he go, ha! And they, they're all of a sudden they're like, bam, fall down, get up healed. Every time, why? Because you release it. And I'm watching this guy and I thought, man, that's easy. I mean, he, he's like, a, you know, you ever see a basketball player? They got that, you know, they're in the guard position. They're out there and they're kind of back and forth and just guarding the person. That's the way he was. It was just easy. And, I, and when he got done, man, he was refreshed and ready to go. And I thought, that's the way it should be. And I watched him and I said, I want that. I want to minister like that. And so the next time I got a chance to minister, guess what I did? I acted just like him. And you know what? It worked. It worked. I, I was acting. I got a hold of some videotapes with David Hogan. Started watching his videotapes. Man, got pumped. Uh, got, sat there in my chair for two weeks. Cried the whole time. My wife said, what is wrong with you? Sitting here crying, can't get you to move. You're watching these things over. I mean, I wore these things out. She goes, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, he is living the life I've been preaching. I want to live it. I don't want to keep preaching about it. I want to live it. And so I watched him for another, um, about a full two weeks. Watched all his videos. And what I kept, I kept saying, I want that. I want that grit. I want that tenacity. I want that, just, just that ability to stick. And, and so, and as a matter of fact, I'll probably tell you about this more a little bit later on today because I want to I bring it in at a certain time because I'm, I, it kind of ties everything together. But I'll just tell you, just like I did this other guy, it came to a point where I had an opportunity. Nobody knew how I preached. I didn't have tapes out or CDs or anything else. Nobody knew anything about me. And I was going out there and I thought, you know what? These people don't know me. I can go out there and act like anybody I want to and they wouldn't know I was acting. I can preach any way I want to and they wouldn't know. They had never heard me preach. So I just went out there and acted like him, talked like him, preached like him. And you know what? It worked. Now, the first time I did it, I was acting. But after that night, I never had to act again because now it was real. And it was mine. And I'd done it. And then I could be that way. And I realized that the stronger, the bolder I get, the more forceful I get, the better it works. And so I just haven't found the end yet. Right? So we're just still pushing. So, here. Judgment for all that are oppressed. All that are oppressed. God. Now, do you realize when God spoke this by His Spirit to David... Jesus had not yet come. Isn't that right? He had not yet been there. He had not yet come to the earth. But God decreed... 
judgment for, which means victory for, freedom for all that are oppressed. Isn't that right? Right then when he said that, he said he executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. When Jesus, I hate to say when he read that, but he did in his earthly life, obviously he did read this. And when he read that, he said right there, my father has decreed judgment for the oppressed. So oppressed, you're free. Now my job is to go about setting them free. And that's simple. His word is forever settled in heaven. Didn't we read that yesterday? So if his word is settled, that word is settled. So God has executed judgment for the oppressed, which means God has decreed all oppressed people free. How did he do that? He sent Jesus. Jesus died, first he was whipped, and then he died on the cross. Isn't that right? And that paid for that judgment, that paid for the oppressed to go free. And now Jesus was going along and setting the oppressed free because he knew he was going to accomplish his goal, which was to die for everybody. Even when Jesus was operating, he was operating by faith. Because he had not yet died. Like I said yesterday, all that stuff, all that before the cross could have been by faith, or was by faith, and could have been wrong if he had not went through with it. But he did go through with it. And therefore he bought freedom for the oppressed. It's a fact. It is an established fact. It's not a, it's not a faith thing. It's a fact thing. The fact that Jesus was crucified is in historical record on the earth, not just the Bible. So it is a fact. He died and was resurrected. Right? And when he was resurrected, that ended it all. At that point on, we, we now see, we're not trying to get the victory. We are fighting from a position of victory. The enemy is trying to take our victory from us. That's what we need to realize. In, in military terms, we have the high ground. We're on top of the mountain. And the beauty of it is, basically Jesus took us in a helicopter and put us on top of the mountain. And now we're fighting from that high ground position and all we've got to do is keep the enemy off the mountain. And it's pretty easy when you have the high ground. Amen? Now, when it says he, that he had judgment for all the oppressed, that means that Jesus, when he showed up, he said, hmm, you're oppressed, so you can be free. Why? Because my Father has executed judgment for all the oppressed. He has set a decree that all oppressed are to go free. You say, I don't think God ever did that. Oh, yeah. Even under the old covenant they did, it's called the year of Jubilee. Isn't that right? Even under the year... See, what was that? That was a foreshadow of what was going to come. Under the year of Jubilee, it was one year. But under Jesus, Jesus is our Jubilee. We're in a perpetual Jubilee, which means perpetual freedom. Is this pretty simple? Pretty simple, huh? So we live in this freedom. That means that since Jesus, it has been the year of Jubilee. That means the year of freedom. That means the stuff about, well, yeah, but see, I've gone into bondage. No. What you've had is an enemy wrongfully attack you. Well, yeah, but I gave him uh, opportunity. I, I opened the door for him. All right? You know, I let him in. I left the door open. Well, let's go back to legal terms. If you have, let's, let, let me give you a scenario. You were uh, standing in the front door of your house. And you can see the, the little convenience store down on the block, on the corner of the block by your house. And you think, I'm going to run down the store, get something to drink, I'll be back in five minutes, and I don't want to have to lock up the house and everything, so you just leave the door unlocked. Now, you go down to the store, and just as soon as you get out of sight, you didn't see the thief, the criminal, standing over behind the tree, just kind of hanging around, but he sees you leave. And as soon as he sees you leave, he walks up to your front door. He kind of looks around a little bit, checking for you, watching for you, because he didn't know who else is in the house. So he walks up and starts to knock on the door, 
Nobody answers the door, so he kind of looks around a little bit, and the minute he just tries the doorknob, and the door opens. So he kind of leans in and yells, anybody here? Hello, anybody here? Didn't get a sound. So he goes on in. He goes in, he starts, he grabs a bag, he starts dumping all your silverware, all your stuff into it. He puts all this stuff in, but in the middle of it, you come back in the door. Now, if you're a good Christian, when you come back in, you have to go, I left the door open. You've got a right to be here because I left the door open. Take what you want, and I guess when you're done, I guess I will have learned my lesson. You see how stupid that is? Well, that's the church. See, you thought Jesus was being nice when he called, called a sheep. Do you know that sheep are dumb, blind, stupid, hard? You know, do you ever realize that? It wouldn't, he wasn't being nice. He, we think, oh, he's calling us a little sheep. He, he's saying, you dumb things. <laughs> Maybe not, but anyway, it gets the point across. Amen. But now think about this. What are you going to do? You're going to go. Now think. If someone's in your house and you come back, can you call the cops? Yeah. You call them. And if the guy's stupid enough, he stays there until they get there. Right? Now in Texas, we don't call cops. We go to our closet. See, we don't don't call 911. We call the coroner. Okay, it's a little bit different. (laughs) And we know we try to raise them from the dead, too. We we really try. It doesn't always work, but we try. I had a pastor one time that told me, if somebody breaks in my house, I'll tell you real quick, you got about three seconds, and then we're going to see if I can raise the dead. <laughs> kind of gives you an idea of the people that I was raised around. Okay, He was an ex-Houston cop, and he was also a uh, security for the Choctaw Nation, Indian Nation at one time, and he was also the pilot for the Happy Hunters at one time. So he had quite a bit of background. Well, now, this person is in your house. You call the cops. Now, if you can't throw them out, the cops can when they get there. Isn't that right? And now think about this. Even if you left the door open, it may not be... There's actually different levels of crime being committed here. Okay? If you left the door wide open, first off, when they got onto your property, it's trespassing. Right? Because you did not invite them. You did not say, I want you to come here. If you left the door open and they come in, now if they, if they kick in the door, then it's breaking and entering. Right? If you left the door open, it's just called illegal entry. But every one of these, are, and if they grab stuff while they're in there, it is actual burglary. And it can, and matter of fact, not that you should do this, but burglary of a house is much worse than burglary of a building. Right? You burglarize a, a, a business, you don't get near as much trouble as you do for burglarizing a house. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but... <laughs> but but it's a fact, because burglary of a habitation is much more dangerous because they assume that you could hurt somebody that's in the house. Okay? So it's much more dangerous. Plus, it's a person's things as opposed to a company's things. Now, but you realize it's all crimes. Isn't that right? Now, the, the cop is not going to come and say, well, do you want him here? Well, of course not. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Did you leave a door unlocked? Well, yeah, that's how you got in. Oh, I'm sorry. I wish we could help you. But uh, until you learn to lock your doors, we can't really do anything about it. He's not going to say, if he does that, you're going to report him, right? You're not, going to let him, you're not going to let the thief walk out with this stuff. At any time that you don't want him there, you tell him to go, he has to go. Whether you left the door open or not. Do you realize? Remember what I said yesterday? If you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price and you belong to Jesus, you don't have the right to open a door. You don't have the right to invite him in. You, that is not your right. You don't belong to you. You get that? You belong to Jesus. Did Jesus invite him in? You are, you are Jesus' property. 
You know, you want to think in terms of a slave, think like that. A person, do you realize that even under the old covenant, go back and read the laws. If a person struck another person's slave, then the person who struck the slave was accountable to death just as if they had struck the owner. Think about that. And yet we, we have all of these little reasons, so-called you know, spiritual reasons, of why the enemy can afflict us. You have to for, The thing that you forget is this. He was a criminal from the beginning. He was a criminal before he got to your house. Now, you take a bank robber. Bank robber goes in, robs a bank, comes out, goes across the street. There's this little old lady out there. He's trying to get away, but he sees this little old lady. He has robbed a bank. But, for some reason, he takes the time to help this little old lady across the street while he goes across the street. Now, if the cops pull up, do you think they're going to say, Oh, but look at his heart. He's really a kind person. Did helping the little old lady across the street nullify the fact that he just robbed a bank? Of course not. He was a criminal before he helped the little old lady. Isn't that right? So, he was a criminal, and so therefore everything he did after being a criminal was also technically a criminal act. You get that? Because a criminal performed it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, it didn't make him any better because he did a good deed. He was still a criminal. And he still had to pay for what he did originally, right? Well, when the thief comes to your body, when he tries to steal your kidneys, tries to steal your liver, tries to steal your heart, your lungs, he is still a thief. He was a thief when he, I don't care what you did. Now, this woman I was telling you about with a woman that had emphysema. I went in, I prayed for her. First time in, some of the, some of the dates and years blur with some of the different healings. But I, went, I know it was over four years, between four and seven years. She, was, she had this breathing machine. She was on it when I got there. You know, I sound like Darth Vader. You know, I had that, that thing going. Breathing like that. And I prayed for her. She takes the thing off. Man, you ought to have seen her. She was excited. Everybody else there was excited. She was absolutely healed. While I was there, I saw it. She saw it. She felt it. She could breathe. Couldn't breathe in her lungs. Hadn't breathed in years. Now she's free. I go to the rest of the other 20 people in her house. When I'm done, I look for him like, Where, where's the lady is there? I think she's outside. Okay, well, I'm going to go and I'll see you later. I step out on the front porch. She's out there smoking a cigarette. And, and I, I told her, I said, you're free. What are you doing? And, you know, I was kind of riled up, to be honest with him. It's her life. But I told her, I said, I, I got that off of you. And she said, yeah, but, but I enjoy a good cigarette. I'm like, then enjoy the good emphysema that comes with it. Because it's going to come. I can get you free. But if you keep going back into it, you're going to get it back again. It went, Now, she was healed. Somebody go, well, I guess she didn't get healed because I saw her on that breathing machine. Yes, she did get healed. But she kept going back and a worse thing came upon her. And I guarantee you, if she doesn't change that, she will die. Do you, do you, understand, you see what I'm getting at? I can get you free. You can get anybody free. But you can't keep them free. Right? We can bring the kingdom of God to them. You know the old saying? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's the same thing. You can get people free, but you can't make them stay free. Amen?